Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, we are joined by Carrie Beidelman, a senior interior designer at BHDP. Carrie has led the crucial task of curating research on crises amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, Return to Workplace in the Midst of a Crisis, she shares her informed perspective on how leadership can learn and adapt now for future crises. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guest introduce herself further. My name is Carrie Beidelman, and I am a senior interior designer at BHDP Architecture. One of the things we're here to talk about is you have been our resident curator of information during the COVID-19 crisis, and I wondered how you wound up getting that role during this time. Well, having some conversations with one of the owners, we were chatting about a lot of things. There were a lot of articles being passed around and a lot of information was starting to be gathered. And one interesting thing that he sent to me was that he felt like it would be good for me if I could try to take charge of organizing this information and weeding out some of the noise. One notable thing that I thought was nice was that he believed I had a strong sense of empathy and that I would be a good person to try to do that. So I felt appreciative of that and I guess I felt motivated by it. I am interested in research and gathering information. So it was a good thing to dig my feet into and kind of take charge of. How much of your time has this consumed? There's a lot to go through and it comes through daily. Um, It has taken up quite a bit of my time, but I've been able to balance because this is for us and it's also for our business and our clients. So, So we have clients that also have lots of questions and lots of needs. I've been able to spend a lot of my days on this information and researching, but also some of the time is communicating back to clients, but also engaging with them in roundtables to where I'm learning more from them and sharing experiences also. Sure. And I know that I've reached out to you personally, even in a side project. I was consulting. I'm on the board for a theater company. So you helped me connect to folks that are working with one of our clients that happens to also be a theater so it was like, oh, we've got all the resources together. You knew who to pull in when for what. And that's been really helpful, like an integrator, so to speak. I think that was the intention was to try to have somebody be kind of like a maven for all the information so people could kind of know who to go to to say, you may not know the answer, but how can I find out this information? And even like the gigantic virtual whiteboard that we have that has a lot of information on it, you know, there's a a bit of an art to how it was set up from the beginning to be able to try to find things very quickly that might help someone when they need to react to something or present something or help somebody with a solution. Sure. So having to be the person to curate the information and sort it, where do you seem to get the most valuable information? Like what's your filter for checking the things that come in and knowing this is helpful, this is just noise? Right. So there's a lot of information, as everyone has noticed. One thing I've noticed is that as far as information from the media or online, I think that I sometimes get things multiple times within the office people will send me. And that's when I start to really look at it a little closer and be like, this is really something notable. It's drawing their attention. What's drawing their attention about it? 
part of the process I'm also using is I look at the articles to see if this is someone's just interesting perspective or if they're citing experts, right? So if, if they're experts that have contributed to that information, to me, it has a little more value. And then a lot of times I'll go back and look for those experts and I'll see what they're saying on their own time. And I also use like real-time internet. Twitter is very interesting. It can be definitely a rabbit hole, but there's so much information that's so dated so quickly that if I can check it and check people that are experts on there to see if they're reacting quickly to something that's come out in the news or whatever, I can start to see if there's a gauge of excitement or interest and in how maybe valid something is. So sure, it's a little bit of a, a big circular effort, but I try to look to the experts and look to people that are citing those. Yeah. Is this something that I can validate the authority of the person presenting the information or not even the authority, but the uh, the expertise? Right. And the ones that know it and then can clearly delineate it, those are the most useful sure. because there's a lot of brilliant people out there, but a lot of us don't always understand how this affects our business or our clients or ourselves or our families. So I think having that angle to things is helpful. The next thing I want to talk about is getting back to places. And, you know, we've talked a lot about getting back to workplace, but there's more than one place to go and things like offices, schools, stores, restaurants. What have you found in your curating of the information? What are people doing? What can you talk about about people returning to places? Right. So a lot of businesses are opening. A lot of businesses stayed open. Yep. So I think a lot of companies, as they were starting to consider opening their doors back up, look back to the ones that had stayed open a little bit. And I think there's a lot of policies and information that have come through to help guide that. And I think the, the most important thing that I think people did was respond to the situation at hand and like kind of pause and say, okay, right. what should we do to make this a safe and healthy environment for people to come into, for employees, for customers, whoever needs to come in those doors? And I think what's happened the most is that we've become flexible and shifted processes. A lot of restaurants shifted processes immediately. You know, yeah. some restaurants never did takeout. All of a sudden they had a platform. They took a little time maybe to develop their process, but they developed the process and then they're fine tuning it. So, and then some of those things will stay and some of those things will change. But in the end, we have to go back into places. So how do we make sure people feel safe going into those places and that the employees feel safe having people in their business also? Sure. Yeah. Safety is the key word. I know for workplace, with the absence of precedent, people were trying to figure out what to do. And so they're looking to see what other strategies other folks have done. You know, what strategies have you seen that have overlapped, like people have adopted similarly? And are there any things that are extremely divergent, like extreme ends of the spectrum where somebody, we're going 100% back or we're going 2% back or whatever, what overlaps and what's different? From what I've seen, the things that have maintained pretty consistently are the the high attention to cleaning protocols, hygiene protocols, face covering, distancing, closing break rooms, and improving air quality are all kind of across the board things that people are doing. And then I think those high dollar items, like really architecturally changing your space or 
buying a lot of furniture to address something. Not many people are doing those things right now. And I think the ones that are doing something like that, we're probably going to do it anyway, or they've had to do it because they have to react to something that's going on in our world right now that is a long-term effect on their business. That makes sense. You're talking about a low impact investment, not spending a ton of money just to address this particular issue, because we're talking about, you know, sustained changes too. Are there things that you see that might change forever? What are some of the permanent changes? Yeah, I think the biggest permanent changes that we'll see are from a workplace perspective, we were seeing things trend into very high density, pushing people into much smaller workstations, many people in a space at the same time, circulation was getting tighter. You know, we are really pushing the limits as far as how many people we would put in a space. And I think that long-term, there's definitely kind of a pause point on that attitude right now to say, maybe we shouldn't put so many people in an enclosed space for so long. (laughs) Um, And that can go to any health benefit, right? Nobody really wants sick workers. Nobody really wants to get sick of any sort. So when we do that, and if we can clearly delineate some circulation and we can move with purpose to the workplace or within the workplace. Yeah, I've seen articles, you know, prior to this pandemic about air quality in space and the impact on not just employee well-being, but higher cognitive brain function. So, you know, if we're moving to more work styles that require people to have that ability to think and focus for long periods of time, air quality is a big piece of that. So a good thing that could come out of this is that it jumpstarts improving that for people. I think so. And I hope we improve air quality. I think some buildings probably are already doing it and some maybe need a push. And then it's like the follow-up, right? So we can improve air quality now and we can give it a little extra boost because of the pandemic we're dealing with. And then we can readdress the air quality and the filtering that's happening and the fresh air and say, okay, what's working? How's our energy? Can we keep doing it? Should we keep doing it? Or is there a middle ground later? But I think all those things are things that we should continue to address. And I think just having that clear line of communication between building maintenance and tenants or owners, I think makes a lot of sense. Sure. So let's talk about metrics because the whole world is data-driven and everybody loves something that they can measure to prove whether something's working or not. How can businesses measure success of some of the changes that they've made? Where would you see them being able to focus their attention with all these changes that are happening? If I think of it in terms of the short-term response that people have had, I think a big measurement, and I think we were seeing a lot of this splashed about, which is, wow, work from home, we've really increased productivity. And so I think there were some light bulb moments for people to say, wow, we're increasing productivity. People are actually working. They're actually working harder. They're actually working more. And then there was a little bit of a timeout and we realized that we weren't working from home. We were crisis working, right? So we're working and we're working and we're juggling and we have adrenaline going. And we're also trying to like prove ourselves and get ourselves set up. So it was successful and maybe it still is. But I think in the long term, to really prove that success will be how's our corporate culture? How is it now? How is it after? And how's our trust and our flexibility? Have we kept clear communication or did we just do it in the moment? Like, are we still communicating? Are we being transparent? How's the camaraderie? Are people touching base with each other? Are they having casual 
online gatherings or some of the people coming slowly back to the workplace to get together. I think that having some productive and having purposeful collaboration, safe, purposeful collaboration is going to be maybe one of the reasons we get together back in a workplace setting. And so how do we set it up for that to be successful? It popped into my head. Are we working from home or are we making it work from home? How productive is it? What's the real impact of business? And while you can measure productivity, in some cases, they see an increase in that. You're right. You know, the culture is impacted and the culture sometimes drives the success of an organization. So how do you bring that back? Sure, we're productive, but are we losing something else somewhere else? Yeah. And I think also, like, are we growing as individuals? Are we learning? Are we expanding our knowledge? Are we mentoring? And are we attracting and retaining still, or will we be capable of attracting and retaining still when everybody's got their situation kind of like in a a somewhat long-term Sure. I like that. Let's talk about communication as the next piece for this. So some of the best ways to communicate changes, because there's a lot of changes being made to the workplace. And as people start to return to those places, you know, what's the best way to communicate those changes so that folks are ready when they come in? We've seen a lot of success when people are regularly communicating and being frank and honest. I think especially when you tell people that just like the nation, we don't know certain things, but that we're doing our best to set ourselves up for success. And I think the biggest thing about communication is to always tell people why changes are being made And I think then people really understand it's not necessarily because someone's trying to make you change something, but it's for their specific reason why. And maybe we assume people know why because we read the news articles, but not everybody really understands why or why it's important for someone else. So with a face covering, you know, you may want to go back into the office and not wear your face covering. That's understandable. But when you're told why it's a policy is because that there may be people that you don't even know their health situation they're dealing with. And you might have a little different approach to it or to know that someone is actually really emotionally having a harder time than others. Like we have to be a little more sensitive to that too. So I think for understanding why, like this may not be for you, but it might be for someone else or why we have to change something because of a process of cleaning or because of the air quality or whatever we have to change about our workplace. I mean, there might be people that go back into their workplace and find their stuff boxed up. So I really hope somebody talks to them to expect that, if that's the case. Oh, sure. If someone has gone in and touched your stuff, people don't (laughs) like stuff to be touched. So if someone's gone in and touched your stuff, you know, are you just giving people a heads up? Like, this is why this has happened. We don't want it to alarm you. And these are where your things are. And everything should be intact. And here's what to do. You know, here's what we're doing for you and your family because we care about you. Yeah. But I do Um, think you can over communicate too. So you do have to. Sure. Right. You have to still communicate with purpose. I mean, I think the flexibility in being purposeful about things outweighs a lot. So we definitely want to be purposeful and clear. And and I think we all have a lot of reading fatigue and Zoom fatigue, things going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you could communicate with really clean, you know, graphics that help people really understand that you're you've got a mindset, I think it will help. Yeah. You're right though about the right balance of communicating and making sure you say things that are purposeful but not under-communicated because I know you were giving one of your weekly updates and someone who was participating jumped in and said, you know, the whole 6-foot thing was debunked like I 
wait, what is he talking about? I didn't hear that. You know, that was a piece of information that I didn't have. And I was like, what do you mean it's been debunked? I'm sending him a private message. He goes, oh, that six feet may not be far enough. But when you just say it's been debunked, the context of it just caused me instant panic. And that is the danger because things get ripped out of context and made a headline. So what does that really mean? What is happening with the six foot? I think people do understand that you know, six feet is a pretty good measure, but it depends on the situation, right? So you do have to like take it for a grain of salt. And I mean, it's no different than than the weekly meeting we had this week where there was something that was said from the WHO and then the whole country, the whole nation had to do a walk back. Yep. So, you know, we have to be so careful what we say because it literally will become a headline. So I think that the clear, concise communication, if it isn't happening on the highest level, we at least within our own circle of people, of whether they're employees or families or customers, we have to be clear that we're communicating in the way that our company is comfortable communicating, but also so that there's a message of we're listening, we're reading, and we're gonna respond carefully. Sure. So so having spoke to that, now that we're in a crisis, what can we learn from this current pandemic about preparing for a crisis? I don't know of any of the customers that we've talked to that had a plan for this. They've all had to respond quickly and create plans. So what can we learn about preparing for a crisis for the future? I think the biggest thing we could do is take time to learn from this and what the processes people have set up because they did it very quickly and they probably could be fine-tuned. But one thing we've really noticed right away is that the real estate people, the HR people, and the IT people had to create a synergy right away. There were a lot of things related to buildings and people and policies and technology. So if those three things didn't mesh together, there were lots of issues, right? Because we have to make sure those things are linked together. And I think they should be. It seems like they should be anyway. Technology isn't going away. It's only ramping up. And then how we deal with people, if we're doing technology in person, people to people, where people are in our workplace, people are working from home. How do we make sure those people are safe? How do we make sure they're healthy? How do we make sure that they're working safely, you know, with ergonomics. How do we make sure that all that links back into buildings and how we're running our business? Of course, that too. But those, I think those three were very critical. And then we've seen that some companies and probably bigger companies are linking in medical people into their businesses, mental health potential, psychology, mindfulness. Are there people either already within your company that could fit this position, or do you really have to start reaching out, whether it's a consultant or whether you have somebody on your staff that actually is keeping your culture coordinated in this with that mindset? I like that. One of the things, too, there's a new term that's come up. I'd never heard this before, but syndemic is what we're hearing about. And I wanted you to explain what a syndemic is. How is that different from a pandemic and how do we prepare for it? So a syndemic is multiple health catastrophes that occur at the same time. So we've had right now in this moment, racial injustice layered on top of healthcare epidemic. So those two things are working simultaneously and creating 
lots of issues within themselves and within our world. And they're all issues that we need to respond to and we have to deal with and we have to work through. And when I first started feeling it, I was kind of feeling it as a layered crisis, which is kind of the same thing. There's Mm going to be more layers. It makes sense. One crisis doesn't happen without something else happening. There's going to be repercussions from crises that we're all going to have to deal with. But we do have to take pause and respond versus react to these things. Yeah. Um, We have to gather information. We have to share and we have to communicate these things. But I do think that for our clients, I woke up in the night the other night because I was thinking about the layered crises that were happening. And I thought our BHDP clients, our real estate people, uh, facilities people, development people, business owners, they have another crisis they're dealing with. They've committed to an opening date. So they have to deal with people (laughs) coming back into a building and trying to keep those people safe and or knowing they're going to be safe, but trying to make sure the people feel safe and feel comfortable and believe that they have been made safe. It's interesting, too, because there's this increased global awareness of these racial injustices, but there's also localized instances of things like in Michigan, there was a hundred year flood and we even had threats of tornadoes the other night and there were stores that came through and people are without power. So it's, it's, there's like multiple things that compound, but you know, for the syndemic, I think you're talking about things that are lasting. One of the things as we started talking about this pandemic crisis, and then when you think about the racial injustice that we all have to address, It's the same things, you know, respond, don't react, communicate clearly and listen, listen to people and be more empathetic. And I think that all those things are connected too. There's crises that happen. There's towns that have hurricanes and they know exactly how to react and respond to those hurricanes in the moment. And they have a plan and they have a system. Doesn't mean they don't have more crises that happen but they do have to have a system. They have to be communicating, they have to be listening, and they have to be aware of their surroundings to know what's gonna happen and how they can protect their business and protect their home and protect their people. You know, you talk about empathy and communication, and I think that's key because one of the things I'd read recently is that a lot of times lack of information looks a lot like malice. And so what we think people are doing maliciously may just be because of a lack of, you know, listening, being empathetic and communicating with those folks. And maybe there's an education component to that as well. So your background is you're a designer, right, by trade. So how do we apply what we've learned during this pandemic, you know, pair your information up with what you know as a designer? What can we take away from all this? I think what we have to do is we have to kind of get back to listening to our clients and listening to what their needs are from all the different things that are happening within their companies that are changing and trying to really design a space that they can live in and work in and be successful. And I think it is going to go around to some flexibility and choice, and it's going to give people a bit of empowerment to feel that they can work the way they need to work. If we can get the work done and we're productive and we're successful and things are changing and things are improving, then I think we're proving that they can work. But I think as a team within a business, you have to have alignment on that too, right? So we have to have spaces that can support the teams within the businesses that can actually go into the workplace 
and have those experiences together and and have value in it. A lot of businesses we're hearing were really ramping up amenity spaces and people were going into work, some workplaces to work, but also to use those amenity spaces. So those are closed right now. Yeah. They'll be opening, hopefully, and they'll also be continuing to be kind of places that can recharge and connect people in different ways within the workplace. But I'm hopeful that this is the opportunity that's going to create the future workplace that we've been talking about for a long time. But is this the thing that kind of like gets us moving into creating a different type of environment that people can accept change and flexibility a little bit more, can trust employees and can create environments for people to do those things. Perfect. Is there anything else, any other nuggets of wisdom you want to share, Carrie? You know, I think the only other thing that I thought of is like the opportunities. I'm always one to look for the silver lining, right? But there's positive things that happen amongst a lot of difficult things. But but people are buying local. People are combining trips. People are planning their meals. People are spending more time with their family whether they want to or not. (laughs) And we're learning, we're learning from all those things. And I think we're learning about things that can improve our environment and our lifestyle. I think there are things that are positive. For now, we're gonna walk with purpose, right? If you go back to your workplace, you're gonna go to your work spot and you're not gonna go wandering around the office, touching things and talking to people unnecessarily for now. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP for this episode, Return to Workplace in the Midst of a Crisis, with Carrie Beidelman, a senior interior designer at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.